What do we need in our lives to have a great 2014? This month at Seacoast, we are looking at core issues that lie at the root of most of our daily activities. Because we believe if we can strengthen what matters most, the rest of life will fall into place. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. I want to welcome you to Seacoast today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or in the chapel, the warehouse, uh, on the internet, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you're along too. Um, I, wanna, I, w- I want to uh, dig deep today, and so I want to start, let's just, let's just jump into the deep end. Uh, what's your favorite Tom Hanks movie? Okay. Anybody? All right. Forrest Gump, okay, all right. Yeah, you know, I was, um, we, we were out to dinner with some friends this past week, and that was the topic of conversation. Uh, my wife and I had been recently to see Saving Mr. Banks, of which I slept through part of. And, uh, and so I just, I just threw it out. I said, what's your favorite Tom Hanks movie? And my friend immediately said, Saving Private Ryan. His wife said, no way. Didn't, didn't like the first you know, 18 minutes of that. There are a lot of good ones, aren't there? Um, Big, do you remember that one? You got to be... Way back when. Uh, how about uh, Toy Story? That one counts because he, he's a voice uh, in there. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, Forrest Gump, that's a, that's a great one. My favorite one was Castaway. Castaway. Remember that one? Uh, you know, it's a classic. Tom Hanks plays a Federal Express agent who uh, is the sole survivor of a plane crash, ends up four years by himself on a South Pacific Island. He nearly goes crazy, but he does what? Yeah, come on, come on. Here we go. Here we go. He finds a volleyball. He cuts his hand uh, opening a package, uh, puts his hand there, and lo and behold, we have Wilson. Wilson. And so for four years, uh, he carries on a conversation with Wilson, and it keeps him sane. I mean, he even argues with Wilson, if you can imagine that. Now, one of the saddest scenes in the movie, or all movies I've ever seen, is what? Is when, is when Wilson goes overboard on a little raft, and he loses Wilson, and he crashes into a loneliness that is so deep and so dark. Have you ever been that lonely? I can remember a few years ago, um, several years ago, I was going to a conference on the West Coast, and um, I didn't know anybody, did not know a soul. And it was one of these conferences that wasn't created for relationship. You just, you know, move from session to session to session to session. And on the second day there, I had spoken to no one in over 24 hours. Nobody. In fact, I went out to eat, and I thought, I'm going to chat up the wait staff. I, I hope they're ready for me. And, and, when the, and, and when the waiter or waitress, I can't remember who it was, but came up to me and said, how are you today? They don't really want to know that, but I wanted to tell them. I wanted to tell them exactly how I was and what was going on in my mind and all of that because isolation and loneliness is a really, really big deal. Uh, you need a friend. Well, um, yeah, so uh, Tom Hanks has this friend uh, called Wilson, called Wilson. Now, 
We're in a series uh, that we're calling CORE, and CORE uh, has to do with the, the new year. Four key areas of our CORE that if we will strengthen it, then 2014, we believe, will be a better year than 2013. The first week we talked about strengthening our spiritual core. We set some goals in these areas. And last week it was strengthening our financial core. And this week I want to talk about strengthening our relational core. And basically what I want to do is I just want to ask some questions. I've got three key questions about relationships. And I think as we kind of dive into them, if we get the answers right, there are several answers, several possible answers to each one. If we get the answers right, I think that we'll be strengthened in our relational core um, for this coming year. So, you have an outline sheet? Grab your outline sheet. We're going to kind of have it interactive here. And I want to dive right into the questions. Strengthening your relational core. Here's the first one. Why are friendships so important? Why are friendships so important? Um, there was a study in, uh, shortly after the movie actually, in... Uh, both Harvard University and Chicago University, and they studied loneliness. Specifically, why do uh, people's tendency, lonely people, uh, have a tendency to anthropomorphize inanimate objects? Now, I, I included this as part of the message because I wanted you to know I could say that, okay? Anthropomorphize <laughs> inanimate objects. So what does that mean? That means that you get so lonely, so lonely, that you assign human characteristics to things like volleyballs, to gadgets, to cars, to pets. I had a, a friend of ours, um, it was in our church in northern Illinois, and she's a single lady, she was in her 60s then, and been single all of her life. And really didn't have a lot of friends. She would come to church and sit alone. And so Debbie and I went to visit her uh, one day. And we, she introduced me to one of her pets. She had this dog. And she was very, very close to the dog. But she told me what the dog thought, how the dog felt about things. It was as if she was interacting with a human being in the house. Now, I didn't want to tell her, your dog's not thinking that, Okay. Here's what your dog's thinking. I'm hungry. You're the one that feeds me. Let's go for it. Let's get her done. You know, that kind of thing. But she had assigned, she was lonely. She had assigned kind of characteristics to her, to her pet that were more, uh, more human. Well, you know, the Bible um, thousands of years ago answered that question, why are friendships so important, uh, with this. You were created for community. You were created for community. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 says, uh, he's talking about Adam. God has created all of creation, pretty much. And he says about Adam, he says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now here, I have a couple of questions. The first question is, how long had Adam been alone? How long had Adam been alone? Well, it depends on what you feel about the Bible. I mean, some people can say, well, it's just a made-up story and it doesn't really matter. Others who would say, I'm a, I'm a you know, believer, and I believe that um, the whole creation story is, 
is uh, six literal days that God created creation and he goes through each day what he created, 24-hour periods. Therefore, he created Adam and Eve on the same day, so they're probably about 12 hours apart, okay? Other believers would say, well, um, I believe that it's the biblical you know, the biblical version, but I believe that those days are representative of ages of time, okay? And so it was an age of time, uh, and therefore there can be some form of evolution, you know, in that during a particular age within a species, and that's a whole nother conversation, but I'm just giving you a, a couple of possi- possibilities. Now, if, if the second one is true, and it's more than just 24 hours, And if you look at other places in the Bible that give hints to it, those that study these things would say that uh, Adam was probably alone for as many as 50, maybe 56 years, okay? Possible, who knows? That's a long time. He didn't know any other state. So my second question is, how did they recognize that aloneness wasn't a good thing for him? Is it possible that God watched Adam and felt like he was spending an inappropriate amount of time with an aardvark, you know, at some point, and went, no, that's not good. Or, or, or maybe Adam was carrying around a big pine cone talking to it, you know, maybe drawing a, drawing a th- I don't know what it was. But here's what I do know, is that he needed a friend. He needed a friend. And God said, let me make you a helper. And you need a friend. You were created for friendship. You know, it's interesting in the, the study uh, that they had in uh, Chicago University and Harvard that this kind of uh, thing that happened didn't happen with any other emotion other than loneliness. In, in other words, when people were intensely fearful, they didn't talk to things. It's when they were, and when they were alone. They also discovered that loneliness was d- more deadly than uh, even smoking cigarettes, that the lifespan for those who were lonely uh, was shortened um, uh, considerably because you were created for community. Friends are important because of that. They're also important. You need friends because isolation makes you crazy. Isolation makes you crazy. What's the severest form of punishment that you can do to your children? Put them in their room by themselves. Now, we had one. I won't mention his name because he's one of our teaching pastors here now, but he would destroy a room, absolutely destroy a room. You know, you could, you know, pop him on the diaper or whatever. That didn't do anything, but you isolate him. He would go crazy. Didn't like that. They're studying prisoners. What do they do? Solitary confinement. Some people say that's torture because you were not created for that. You weren't created for that. And you, too much time in your own head is not a good thing. Now, it's worse when you do it to yourself. You know, other people isolate you, that's one thing. But when you choose isolation, it does strange things. Proverbs 18 and verse one says, a man who isolates himself. In fact, let's do this. Let's read this one out loud. In the campuses and here. Let's read them out loud. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Man who isolates himself seeks his own desire becomes selfish, thinks only about himself. And then it says he will rage out, he or she will rage out against all wisdom. They act crazy. You know people like that. Rather than benefiting from wise counsel, they take counsel only of themselves. 
Or maybe, maybe you as a friend or a, a spouse or a coworker reach out to them and you, you want to help them and, and instead of them reaching out to those who could help them grow, they rage out. I don't need your help. I'm okay on this. I'm handling it on my own. They're isolated. Makes them crazy. They need friendship. You were created for relationship. Isolation makes you selfish and crazy. Here's a third answer to that question. Your friends will help shape your destiny. Your friends will help shape your destiny. Um, As we're looking at this series, talking about how can we be how can we maximize 2014? Uh, there, basically, uh, those who write about this stuff say that there are two like, overarching things that will impact your destiny this year. There's a lot of things that will happen, but two overarching things. Number one is what you fill your mind with. What are you reading? Okay, that, that will determine a large part of your destiny. And the second one is who you're hanging with. Who are you hanging with? Because your friends and those that are around you will impact your destiny. So you need to choose your friends carefully. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. Let's read this one out loud. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you'll get in trouble. It says if you walk with wise people, it's going to rub off. You're going to be wiser for it. If you walk with fools, you're going to get in trouble. You know, if you walk into a room, this size room or smaller room of people who maybe don't know each other that well, uh, if, if there are two negative people there, they're going to find a third and a fourth. They just kind of hang together because people tend to go with people who are similar to them and the people around you are going to rub off. It's like, it's like their attitude will stick to you like glue. And that's why it's so important that we choose our friends wisely. Now, here's another thought. Not everyone who seems friendly is a friend. You remember Jesus goes into the desert before he has public ministry and he's going to have a time of fasting and prayer and he's hungry and here comes a friendly guy. Satan. Now, he doesn't look like, you know, the red costume and the horns and the pointy tail and all. No, he's just a dude, man. Jesus, I heard about you. You hungry? Let's eat, man. Let's eat. Hey, listen, there's some rocks here. You are the man. I know that you could just, just with a word, you could turn those things into bread. We'll break bread together. Go for it, man. You're the greatest. Friendly, but he's not his friend. And you'll find that in life. You'll find some people who are friendly, but they're not necessarily your friend, because good friends will have a positive influence on your life, your destiny. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And you need to remember that. Much about your destiny will be determined with who you're hanging around with right now. Right now. Is that what you want it to look like? So why friends? You were created for relationship. Isolation makes you crazy. Friends will help shape your destiny. So the next question is, what kind of friends do you need? And I am really glad that you asked that, because that's what I'm going to talk about for the next little bit. I have a lot of favorite scriptures. One of them is this one from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to get to expound on it a little bit today, because it talks about um, the benefits of friendship. 
And it also talks about, kind of breaks down into four friends, and I think there are four friends that every one of us need, four kinds of friends. Here's the first one. You need a partner. In fact, you need partners at various times in your life. Friends who will help you get the best return on your labor. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, let's read it out loud together here and in the campuses. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Two people are better than one because they bring out success in one another. They can if they're the right people. They can help you succeed, see? Partner isn't just somebody who likes your Facebook status. Oh, I've got 300 friends. No, you don't. No. No, basically, you have 300 people who depress and discourage you because their life is so much better than yours. Because that's all they post pictures of is how wonderful things are. Okay? That's not, that's not what you need. You need partners. You need somebody who's committed to your success. Somebody who will help you become the best version of yourself this year. That's what success is. It's the best version of yourself. And oh, by the way, I need to tag something on that because there are plenty of people who would like you to be better than you are. Okay? Your mother-in-law being one of them. <laughs> they say every, behind every successful man is a surprised mother-in-law. How do you know that? Okay. You, you, need, you need more than just somebody who's, who wants you to be better than you are. You need somebody who's committed to you being the best you that you can be, but loves you just the way that you are, that loves the stage that you're in right now, celebrating who you currently are. They're like, they're like God. God loves you the, just the way you are, but too much to let you stay there. That's a partner. That's a friend. You need somebody who will believe in you when nobody else does. You need somebody who is loyal to you, even when you make it hard to be loyal. You need somebody who's the first to call in good times or bad. They, they give and they give and they give and they don't expect anything in return. They walk with you through all the seasons of life, through the up times and through this, the cold season of your dark despair. You need friends who will be there. You need friends who will keep you in check when you want what you can't have. Remember what we talked about last week, that your yearnings will always exceed your earnings, and you need friends that will help you with that. Not that will encourage that, but will help you see reality there. You need friends who will grant you the grace to take them for granted. And you need friends who will sacrifice themselves for you. Jesus, uh, in the kind of the seminal verse on friendship in the New Testament, in John 15, 5, says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. And he did that. But you know, there were friends around him who modeled that also. I think of John the Baptist, who was his cousin, who had a ministry before Jesus did and people were leaving the cities and come out. Have you seen John the Baptist? Have you seen John the Baptist? And then Jesus comes onto the scene and people began to follow him, including some of his own disciples. And, and people came to John the Baptist and said, how do you feel about that? And John the Baptist said, you know what? He must increase and I must decrease. That was a friend 
who could be a friend and lay down his life for somebody else. And, and you know, in your realm of friendships, it may be somebody else for you or you for somebody else. Their star may be rising faster than yours is right now. And yours may be on a decline. And a friend is someone who says, I'm going to still be a friend. I'm not going to compete with you. I'm going to lay down my life for you if I need to because I love you and I'm a partner. We all need friends like that. Partners like that are hard to find. I unfortunately have had several in my lifetime. I call them low-maintenance, high-value friends. I'm married to one. (laughs) She's incredible. She's been all of these things to me. I've had many best friends who have been that in my life, keep me sane. Here's the question. Who are your partners? Who does that for you? Who's helping you succeed? Who's making you more effective and fruitful? And hey, by the way, here might be even a bigger question. Who are you that for them? Because it says they help each other succeed. Partners. Here's another kind of a friend that you need. You need a lifter. You need a lifter. You need a a friend who will pick you up when you've fallen down. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says this. Let's read it out loud together. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Okay? Here's the fact. Newsflash. You won't always get it right. You're going to fall. You'll blow it. You won't say the right things. Sometimes you won't do the right things. You will occasionally fall down and make a fool out of yourself. And when you do, there's plenty of people who will bring a shovel ready to throw dirt on your soon-to-be-dead carcass. And they'll say this, I knew it. I told you so. She would never, you know, she was good for a season, but she could never stay strong all the way through. It was only a matter of time. It's in moments like that you need a lifter. You need somebody who will walk in when everybody else is walking out. Love this verse, Proverbs 24, 16. It said, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. The godly will trip, may trip seven times. But it says the difference between somebody who succeeds and somebody who doesn't is just the fact that they get up. But here's something behind that verse. Sometimes the verse doesn't get the emotion of what's really going on. It doesn't talk to you about how hard it is to get up after the third or fourth time. Or maybe the fifth time. Or the sixth time. When embarrassment and shame is just all over you and you don't want to get up, you want to crawl away, you want to act like I never tried, you need a lifter. You need somebody who will step up when everybody else is stepping back. So where do you find those kind of people? Where do you find them? Let me tell you the best place I've found to find them. It's right here in the church. It's in the church. The church is a community of redeemed sinners. See, that's what, that's what we are here. We're not perfect. If you came in this church for the first time this week hoping that there were a bunch of perfect people here, I am so sorry. I'm the best we've got, and I am a mess. <laughs> Besides that, If you are perfect, you raise the curve. You remember when the teacher used to grade on a curve? We don't want that. 
We'd like to be better and we're trying and God's grace has given us grace. But the church is a community of forgiven sinners. See? We're, 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 we're too aware of our own frailty to point fingers. Instead, we offer a hand up. And that's what the church is. That's what I'm committed to. That's why I wake up every morning for 25 years in this giant social experience or experiment of what the grace of God could do in a group of people. And I believe you can find friends like that. You may have to look through some folks, but you'll find people who will lift you up when you need it. You need partners. You need lifters. You also need encouragers. Encouragers. Friends who will warm you up when you're feeling cold. Look at the next verse. Back to Ecclesiastes 4, 11. Let's read it out loud together. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Somebody over here is going, ooh, he's going to talk about sex. <laughs> I like it when he talks about sex. That's so good. Not so much. Not so much. No, sex is good in its right place. But what we're going to talk about is intimacy here. That's what that's talking about. See, lots of people think sex produces the intimacy that they crave. Because we all crave intimacy. But you know what? Outside of God's parameters, sex can cause hurt and pain in the pursuit of intimacy. Trying to fill that cold and lonely, empty void that comes from a lack of intimacy and we try to fill it in the wrong way and it, it doesn't help. It hurts over time. See, a f- real friend will warm you up when you're feeling cold, especially a friend that's an encourager. You need an encourager in your life. You need somebody that says, you the man, you the woman, when you know you aren't, but they think you are. That happens to be my spiritual gift. It really is. I, my, my gift is encouragement. I, I have a hard time confronting. I have prophetic friends who are better at that. I have to do it, and I do it from time to time. But my gift, what I naturally go toward is encouragement. I love doing it. I'll walk around the office, you know, and, and uh, sometimes I'll just get up and just walk around for fun, and I'll see a meeting where they've got a closed door, and they're real serious in there. And uh, it, my, wife, my wife and I are so different in this, like Christmas parties and stuff. Uh, I'll say, we're going to go to this Christmas party? She said, well, we weren't invited. And I'll go, they just forgot. <laughs> I mean, they want us. Who wouldn't want us at a party? Come on. So I'll go to this window and see people in there, and I'll just go in. And they'll stop the meeting. And What do you need? What do you need? Nothing. I just want to be a blessing. <laughs> you the man. You the woman. In fact, our, I've said this before, our uh, employee of the month every month is the Yuda Award. We give out the Yuda Award because you the man. You don't want You need somebody who come alongside of you. You need several somebodies. Come on, pat you on the back and tell you how good you are when you really don't feel all that good and you probably aren't. But it's somebody that can see the future and can look through you and see what God wants to do in your life. You know, <laughs> the, uh, Tom Hanks did not win the Academy Award for Wilson. He was nominated for it, and he probably should have won it, but he didn't. But he has won other Academy Awards. Did you know 
in studying this stuff, people study this stuff, that people who win the Academy Award live four years longer than actors who don't win the Academy Award. They study I don't, don't, I, they study it. Somebody who didn't win it is going to die an average of four years sooner. Why, why is that? Because we need encouragement. We live for encouragement. I think of encouragers in my life. My Uncle Norman was my encourager. He was a denominational official in the denomination I was a part of. And I remember as a young preacher, and it was tough, it was hard. You know, we had about 40 people coming to our church, and, and, um, and it wasn't growing. And so I'd go to conferences, and, and um, there, there, I, I remember being a roommate with a guy in a conference one time, and the conference speaker would just encourage us, and he would, he would challenge us and all that. And we'd go back to our room, and this guy would say, it'll never work for us. I mean, that's in a big city. We're in a rural communities, and that'll never work. And, and I remember my uncle putting his arm around me. I remember him saying, don't listen to people who say it can't be done because you're different than they are. You're different than they are. And I didn't feel different, didn't think I was different, but he believed I was different. And you can live a long time on somebody else's belief when you don't have it. I remember Billy Hornsby, who, uh, who was an encourager for me. And I, I remember at his memorial service, a, pres- uh, a, um, a privilege for me to be able to, to do his service. I was thinking this week, I've been privileged to do too many of my best friends at the time, memorial services. I remember doing his, doing a part of it. And I remember uh, looking for a quote about friendship, and I found one that stuck with me because I feel like it defined him. This says this, a friend is someone who knows the song in your heart and can sing it back to you when you've forgotten the words. That's a friend. That's an encourager who knows the song in your heart and can sing it back to you when you've forgotten the words. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you? Are you that for somebody else? A partner, a lifter, an encourager? Fourth thing you need in that verse is a defender. Friends who will have your back when others attack. Uh, verse 12, let's read it out loud. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer. Says, says if you're by yourself, you can be defeated. But if you got somebody on your back who's, who's got your back, then you can, you can conquer. Newsflash, you will be attacked. You will. There, the world is full of people who want to put you in your place. I, I have um, friends, ministry friends in Australia, in the UK. I'm going to speak in the UK in just a few weeks to some uh, pastors and in, in the Netherlands, and especially in those areas, uh, they have something that they call the tall poppy syndrome, which means when somebody succeeds, when somebody does well, and they kind of stand out among everybody else, there's always people that are going to cut them down, get them back to the, to the level ground, because everybody's supposed to be the same. They don't want, they're not committed to your success. I want to tell you, if you attempt great things for God, or you attempt good things in the community, you will be criticized. Jesus was accused by the religious leaders of the day of, acu- of healing improperly. Can you imagine that? This guy's healed. Wow. Been sick all of his life. Incredible. You did it on a Saturday. Shouldn't have done that. If you'd have done it on a Sunday or Friday, it might have been all right. But you did it on a Saturday. 
This guy's healed. First time in his life he can walk. Must be the power of Satan. That's all I can say. People accusing him. Doing great things. I, I think about my friend Rick Warren. I was watching a website this week where some dodo brain was accusing him of something called Chrislam. Because Rick Warren loves everybody and is nice to everybody. This guy said, well, he's mixing Christianity and Islam. I thought, you don't know, my friend. You don't know. <laughs> Rick is as doctrinally sound as anybody on the planet. He just happens to love everybody, and God has given him a great platform, and people are shooting arrows at him. Arrows. Arrows. You don't have to be Jesus Christ or Rick Warren. I mean, somebody as nice as me, everybody, you know, every once in a while, somebody will take a shot, you know, if they think about it. You will have people, you will have people who will attack you. And you need friends. You need somebody who's got your back. Can I tell you? This weekend, there's going to be a great battle between good <laughs> and evil. And I, I want to tell you how to watch the game today. Let me tell you how to watch the game. When the Broncos have the football, oh boy, we got a Patriots fan with a hat on. When the Broncos have the football, Peyton Manning has all kinds of weapons. He's got receivers that are some of the best in the league. He's got running backs. He's got all these guys. But his number one weapon, his number one friend will be number 75. You don't hear him, you won't hear his name much unless he gets a penalty for holding somebody or he moves too quick. His name's Chris Clark. And he is the left tackle. Peyton Manning is right-handed, okay? So when he goes back to pass, he's got a blind sight. And the guy on the blind sight is Chris Clark. Now, he's a very unusual guy in that that would usually be one of the high draft choices. Chris Clark wasn't even drafted. Now, the guy that always played there is Ryan Clady. I'm just giving you all kind of, I study this stuff in my quiet time. He... Ryan Clady was, uh, was drafted in the first round. He all pro, all pro, all pro. He got hurt in the first game this year. And so Chris Clark had to step up. And he's done an incredible job at protecting his backside and his blind side. So when the forces of evil come at him this afternoon, <laughs> you will know. Wilson knows who to cheer for. You need friends who've got your back. <laughs> it's all in fun, isn't it? It's all in fun. I love it. You need friends who've got your back. You need friends who've got your back in prayer. You need friends who are committed to pray for you. I've got those here. You need friends who've got your back in speech, in words, who will defend you. You don't have to defend yourself when you've got the right kind of friends. Can I tell you this? If in your department at work, or wherever it happens to be at school or whatever, and, and, all, and it, all the negative people tend to come to you and tell you what they're thinking and all this kind of thing. Guess who has a problem? You have a problem. You need to get a backbone. You need to be a friend. You need to be the kind of person that goes, you know what? You're saying that about my friend. 
You don't, when you talk about them, you're talking about me. See? You need to be that, you need those kind of friends around you that when you're not around, that they won't put up with people talking about you because they got a backbone. And you need to be that kind of friend. We need people who have our backs, who protect us. You need people who, who, will, um, uh, who, who will protect you from yourself. Sometimes you can be your own worst enemy. Uh, when things are going good, you believe all the good press, you know. Uh, I, I say to pastors that I, I think every pastor needs to uh, sit at a table with a group of people who love him but are not impressed with him. Because you need people who will keep pride from coming your way. You also need people who uh, uh, can help you when you, you fail to believe what the Father says about you. People who will say, well, where did you hear that? You know, you are a child of the king. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You need a friend who can remind you of the truth. And some of you, frankly, have been hurt or betrayed by people. Don't allow that to prevent you from building this year great relationships that will help you in the future. So why friends? You were created for them. What kind of friends? Partners, lifters, encouragers, defenders. One last question, what is the secret sauce of effective friendship? And I want to share with you something here that, um, that's just fresh as can be. This is, this is a, a, an insight that I hadn't seen before. Okay, I want to read the scripture, the whole uh, verse, and then we'll take the last part. It says, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. That's what we've taught so far. And then the last part of the verse says this, three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This is a triple braided cord. It's strong. There are physics to this. What do the cords represent? Now, I've always believed strongly in triads. It says three are better than, or even better, three are better than two. There's a power in triads. I mean, if you go out to eat with somebody for the first time, it's easier if there are three people there than two. Would you agree with that carry-on conversation? There's all kind of power in triads. But I think there might be even a deeper meaning. Uh, in the, the uh, translation, I gave you the New Living Translation that says three are better than two. Uh, almost every other translation doesn't include that phrase. It may be assumed, but it's not included. Why is that important? Well, the whole, uh, you know, part of that chapter, the several verses, they talk about two, two are better than one, 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 two are better than one. And then, like in the new NIV, uh, it will skip the phrase that says three are even better. It just goes right to, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now, follow me on this. Talks about twos, talks about twos, talks about twos, talks about relationships. And then it says, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Is it possible that every relationship has three cords? Whether it's two people or it's a whole group of people. One cord is you. The other cord is the other person or group of people. And the third cord is the purpose of us being together. What brought us together? What that ties us together. We have two. Why are we together? 
ties this together. Maybe the truth is, is that the, the common interest, the third chord, determines the uh, ultimate impact of the relationship. Look at your relationships right now. What ties them together? It might be different things for different relationships. I mean, I, I think of, you know, um, sometimes bitterness and negativity can tie a relationship together. It's people we don't like or things that we don't like, so we all get together. That's what our relationship's about. That's not healthy. The uniting force of the third chord's important. It determines the health of the relationship. And a great cause can turn just an average relationship into a powerful thing. I think about small groups in our church. Small groups are great, but they become truly powerful when there is a powerful, uniting third strand. For instance, maybe it's the, the, the cause is eliminating slavery in the 21st century, like there's a group here that does that. Maybe it's orphan care, and there's a group that does that. Maybe it's mentoring. Maybe it's a, a, about building great marriage relationships. Maybe it's about helping people who are struggling in business. Maybe it's about parenting. Maybe it's about attacking poverty. Maybe it's about any great cause. The third chord becomes a powerful uniter. So what's the most powerful uniter? It's love. It's love. No greater love could a friend have than to lay down his life, Jesus says. God so loved you. God, you, love. He wants relationship with you. This weekend, we're going to give you a greater opportunity uh, to connect, an opportunity to engage in others. Uh, in fact, after the message, the campus pastor will give you instruction about how you can do that at your individual campuses. But I want to conclude with this. Let's play volleyball with Wilson. But let's create relationships with real people. Because you were created for it. Isolation makes you crazy. And relationships will help create your destiny. Let's have a great destiny in 2014. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful group of people gathered here today. God, I just ask that you would examine our hearts. Probe deep within us. Make a deposit of your word by your Holy Spirit. That we would be changed as we walk out of this building, wherever we happen to be today. Changed by an encounter with you. Changed by truth. And our destination, our destiny drawn toward you. God, I ask that you would examine us, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.